This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 478. I'm your host, Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on this episode, we are continuing our jaunt through my top 10 favourite horror movies. The theme selected by you guys to be a countdown to our 10 year anniversary as a podcast, which will be dropping on the 31st of August 2023. Also, this top 10 favourite horror movies list will be accurate up until the 31st of August 2023 and then I reserve all rights to change that list in any way, shape or form that I want after that date, which will more than likely happen. The problem is, I tried to put a freeze on this, tried to be smart, I was like that, we're going to freeze this list and that's the way it's going to be. But then I obviously continue to keep watching movies, some I've seen before, some I've never seen before, and then the order all starts to get muddled up. So it's it's causing me great frustration doing this list, which I can only imagine was your design, dear listeners, because I know that you get off on seeing me miserable. Now, we are on number eight on the list. Uh, So quite a few episodes left to go as we run down to that coveted number one spot and there's already two episodes out so please go out and check them. I will say this, the feedback we're getting thus far on the YouTubes particularly is kind of friggin awesome. So if you are checking us out via video on YouTube then can I ask you to take two seconds and hit subscribe and that way you never miss any of the content released on that channel. Trust me, there'll be loads before the end of the year. If you're checking us out through the Spotify app, which means you're getting the video content as well, then please answer the question that we pose on that feed. And if you're checking us out in the audio formats and any of the other podcatchers that you subscribe to, uh, make sure you're subscribed to our feed, because that way you'll never miss anything that I do, and you have access to the over 1,200 episodes of Podcasts Under the Stairs that we have put out in the past. Now, like I say, this list is proving considerably fun, and we have had number 10 in the 2010s, uh, number 9 was in the 90s, and of the entire list, of which there is a kind of, there's a theme of some of the, the kind of more modern titles being in there, mostly because a particular studio, it may have a letter starting it, it may be followed by two, that's right, two numbers, um, yeah, the old A24 for those in the know, um, A24 is out there doing the Lord's work, and yeah, as a result, they've kind of wormed their way into my heart, ah, how I love them, yeah, there's more of them coming up, but... As a result of that, the kind of back half of the list uh, has some more modern titles. None of them 
more modern than the one we're about to talk about. Um, in fact, if I'm being honest, there's one that shares the same year, but no later than this. 2018 is as far as we're going here. No further, dear listeners. Um, on this episode, I want to bring your attention to maybe the most Duncan movie ever made. I say that because it's a little bit art house, it's a little bit exploitation, it's a little bit awesome, and visually, this is porn to my eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, number eight on my list, directed by the great and powerful Panos Cosmos, is 2018's Mandy. What you gonna do with that thing? We're going hunting. So what you hunting? It's crazy evil. You think you're so in love? I'll show you love. Oh man, they wronged you. Ah! Ah! the cosmic darkness. It glowed from within. Strange and eternal. Welcome back. So, right, Mandy, number eight on my list from 2018. Joining me on the review, my trusty iPad. This is going to keep me right when it comes to remembering actors and actresses' names, uh, synopsis, and various other bits and bobs. It will be leaving me shortly, and then we'll be getting down into this, but I do tend to now favour these on these video reviews because it saves me having to do edits. Thus far, all the videos we've done one take. So let's see if we can continue that trend a rolling. So this one directed by Panos Cosmotos, who co-wrote it 
with uh, Aaron Stewart Anne and Casper Kelly who did the Cheddar Goblin segment so that's why there's an extra name in there the movie itself stars Nicolas Cage Andrea Risenborough Linus Roach Neil Dennehy Owen Fleur Richard Brake Bill Duke uh, Lane Plett and some other folks are in there as well. Synopsis as listed on the I to the M to the D to the B is The enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult and their demon biker henchmen, propelling a man into a spiral, surreal rampage of vengeance so we're putting this mall bar down now and then getting into some chatting about mandy so mandy's one of those movies that was already doing the rounds on the festival circuit and people that had seen it that listened to the podcast under the stairs were already hitting me up going duncan's gonna love this movie i am always apprehensive when that's said i get a little bit kind of uh, am i really though Am I really, or does it tick maybe one or two boxes that you think I really like? Generally, it's colour scheme. Um, oh, it's got that Argento and Mario Bava light in it. Duncan's going to love it. Aesthetically, I will, but I'm not a two-dimensional guy. In movies, I like the whole package. I'm looking for, at least at a bare minimum, an interesting story. I'm looking for powerhouse performances. I'm looking for a movie experience that enthralls and encapsulates me. And above all else, I'm kind of looking for something, for the most part, that feels like I've never seen a movie done this way before. And Panos Cosmotos is the master of this, with only two movies feature length to his name thus far and Beyond the Black Rainbow, another movie that I absolutely adore. Um... I was always concerned about how he would follow that up. And Beyond the Black Rainbow is really more of a kind of... It exists more in the sci-fi world than it does necessarily in the horror world. I know a lot of people like to lump that in there because sci-fi people sit uncomfortable with Beyond the Black Rainbow. Even though it does have a kind of 2001 A Space Odyssey sort of vibe rolling through. I can almost at times a silent running as well. So... There's part of me that feels that he wears his influences on his sleeves. Um, I feel when he teamed up with Spectre Vision specifically to do this, that's Elijah Wood's production company, I get a feeling that there was a kind of more push for, I've got this idea for this dark, nightmarish, fairy tale esque story that I'm wanting to tell. Uh, exists somewhere in the horror realm and you know I want to go away and make it and those guys were like yes yes please please where do we where do we sign the check and give you the cash to go away and make that movie but to unabashedly say Duncan's going to love that movie is a bold statement there have been predictions in the past of titles that I was going to love that when I sat down and watched them left me a little bit lukewarm so it's a dangerous one. I am relatively predictable in a lot of facets, but for some reason there is a thin line between what some listeners think I will enjoy and what I actually do enjoy. Mandy came out in the UK about Halloween, if memory serves. It came out, I think it was the week of Halloween because it was my 31st of October main movie feature picked as part of my 31 of October that year. 
And yeah, you guys nailed it. I said so at the time. I've done an In Reverence episode on Podcast Under the Stairs for this movie, which kind of shows how much I dig it already. The One of the more young movies on the list, and it has overcome a huge amount of other titles that have been with me for like two plus decades um, in rotation. Mandy's just found a way to continually work its way through it. And the big part of that is because it's in the hands of Panis Cosmos, he does give you a movie which feels like you're watching something unlike anything you've seen before. There's a kind of almost fever dream aspect about his visuals. It's safe to say, if you've watched um, the Cabinet of Curiosities that Guillermo del Toro did last year for Netflix, and Panos had one of those features in there, which looked completely different from everything around it, kind of dropped all the, the, the kind of gothic horror tomes for something inherently cosmos, um, that the visual style is something that he has as a trend, something that he gravitates to. The same way that when we were watching those Grindhouse movies, you know, Death Proof and Planet Terror, that... Um, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino did and they put that kind of that old you know cigarette burns cracked kind of old uh, you know drive through well played well spun real filter over their movie it kind of felt like a filter and after a while loads of movies were doing that to the point that it became a little bit nauseous when you were watching it. Uh, Panos has an almost Instagram-esque filter that he puts over his movies which make them feel old but for some reason accentuate every colour that you could possibly imagine. I mean this movie would give Suspiria a run for its money on use of colour. It's just so vibrant, so rich, so powerful. So you've got that aspect in there to begin with. You then double that up with some incredible casting choices. Originally, he had looked to have the Linus Roach performance by the hippie cult leader, who's like shades of Charles Manson, shades of David Koresh, um, maybe even shades of kind of Children of God a little bit in there. Um, he'd originally thought about having Nicholas Cage have that role and Cage himself um, had worked his way through the script and then came back and it was like no I should play Red, I should play the hero and it's very difficult to say no to Nicolas Cage trust me, apparently a lot of directors find that, you can usually see it when a performance goes completely off the rails a director didn't take two seconds to say, maybe rein it in a little bit Nick um, and ultimately that's where they settled I think it was genius casting I love him in the role of Red, I think for the most part, until he has to lose his shit, he is surprisingly restrained in the first, what, 45 minutes to an hour of this movie. And then we go full cage rage, and that's the best sort of performance that you want from him. Especially when it's earned, so he's not crazy right from the start, he gets crazy towards the end, and a justifiable reason for why he gets even more unhinged as the movie goes along. But I would say the greatest find in this one is Linus Roach, who plays our, our hippie cult leader, who is absolutely incredible. He um, embodies uh, a frailty, a superiority, a supreme arrogance and hubris in a way where you would think this guy had been like, turning in like kind of powerhouse performances in genre for years, and he really, really hadn't. There's a lot of that performance 
works so well for me in how the character twists and turns and he gets to play several different versions of himself the you know the the kind of stoic cult leader supremely confident in his abilities until questioned and then the insecurity then the the resolve the fear the ambition it's, it's all there it's all these different versions of that one character that i genuinely love uh, on top of that andrea risenborough who plays uh, red's wife is great she's not on a huge amount of this but she has a look about her. I, it's the same way I was kind of blown away by her performance in Possessor by Brandon Cronenberg, where I thought she's a coldness about her character, but actually her facials are what really pull you in. It's almost that blankness that makes her like a blank canvas to work on or to try and read from. It's just this absolutely incredible performance as well. And then you get a mixture of um, kind of side roles not quite cameos uh, Richard Brake is in this movie for all of five minutes to be honest that's about as much as I want from Richard Brake not because he's a great actor I think he has an unpleasant look about him he's um he's very gaunt very thin um and he's a he's an unpleasant actor to look at which is why he gets a lot of the roles that he does he's a very good actor but you know I don't want him on the screen too long um it's a mistake Rob Zombie made but we'll get to that another day not on my top 10 favourite horror movies list um, Bill Duke makes a small performance here, Bill Duke was in a ton of movies I love from the 80s and he has a tiny performance in this one, we're talking minutes but it completely fits the setup for Now We're Going On Vengeance, when you get a pep talk by Bill Duke, get handled a crossbow that can shoot through steel and sent on your way you know you're in for a good movie the movie itself, for the most part, is a simple revenge tale. It's kind of been done in time and memoriam and horror. Uh, will be continued to be done uh, in horror for as long as horror exists. You know, it's that kind of concept of when embarking on vengeance or a journey for vengeance, make sure you pack two shovels. One for the person that you're aiming to bury and another one to bury yourself. Um, because the journey to seek vengeance usually comes at such a cost that you lose who you are, the last shreds of humanity or whatever that might be. And in the case of this movie, that's essential what happens to Red. The love of his life, his obsession, his world is taken away from him. And that quest into vengeance gets darker and darker as it goes along. It has him taken all manner of hallucinogens. And then by the end of it, he is essentially a broken character. He hasn't found any solace or peace. Some people read that end scene of him staring maniacally at an empty seat, smiling, uh, imagining his, his partner there as some sort of happy ending. I don't see it that way. And it, once again, as mentioned on the Under the Skin review, maybe it's because I've got a slightly pessimistic, nihilistic outlook on the world. But I see that as the, the, the kind of shattered remains of a broken mind in a car, imagining someone and maniacally smiling because the brain has been disconnected from reality. As you pan up, that last shot pans up and the background is like many moons in the sky or planets or many suns. Um, his perception of reality has changed. It's like on a different level. He's, he's no longer with us 
in the normal realm, or that's how certainly I read it. Um, one of the things I love about this movie, it was a theory that was posed not long after it came out, was the idea of how this movie essentially captures three very huge movements in, in rock or metal, uh, for, for lack of a better word, because it is metal. And it does that by the three chapters you go through, specifically the font of the three chapters, which evoke different movements and tone and energy. Um, to kind of elaborate more on that one, the opening scene of this, or the first, not even a third really, to be honest with you, is the 70s. It's kind of... It's kind of stoner music, it's kind of stoner rocks, very kind of Black Sabbathy. King Crimson writes a song for the opening of this movie, so you're already kind of you're already kind of in in safe hands when King Crimson kicks in. Um, but there is this kind of psychedelic kind of seventies like stoner vibe about it, and the font setting up that is very much in that. You know, your introduction to that chapter. As you move into the second chapter, you're kind of hitting thrash, thrash metal. The font changes in such a way where it evokes the kind of writing you would see on thrash albums. The energy picks up, becomes much more manic, it's a more intense pace as we start our, our journey to vengeance. And then as soon as we shift into the gear of the last movement, which is ultimate vengeance and the burning of a church... Um, and I'm not not stretching too far for this. There are there is a church building burned in in this, and what genre of music in the '90s, if we're jumping through the decades, embraced church burnings? It is of course black metal, which should surprise no one when the font for Mandy kicks in, and it is designed in a black metal font. So the movie itself is kind of embracing those three stoic movements of of music in a really interesting way. Now, you could flip it back and actually say, well, the movie's set in, what's it, 1983? And if it's set in 1983, by that point, thrash music's already started, Black Sabbath exists, and we are spitting distance from a band like May, uh, well, not Mayhem, uh, but someone like Venom, and not that far away from, like, a Bathory, um, kind of starting to form as well. So as a result of that, technically, black metal is already... The seeds of black metal are upon us. I like my analogy of jumping decades, so, so I'm sticking with that. Feel free to have a different of opinion. I'm not going to argue it too much. The movie follows a lot of the beats that you want in a good revenge movie. It actually emulates... Um, it's funny, Biljuk's in this one. There are moments in this movie that feel very much of a kind of commando uh, or a or a predator sort of vibe as well, especially when it comes to setting up the traps or building the weapons. Um, it kind of feels like it's in that remit, so Bill Duke being in this movie kind of adds a bit of weight and credibility with his performance in both those movies. Um, on top of that as well, it spends a while at the start setting up the you know the, the the death of Red's wife, and that's really clever to me. I think the more time we spend, at the beginning anyway, with the, the kind of relaxing life that Red has, he works very hard with his hands, comes home uh, and spends time with his his artist, you know, wife who is into Motley Crue and more likely a bit of Slayer, 
and you know she draws but she works in a convenience store and and they're they're kind of relatively simple life off the grid um it kind of adds weight to red's revenge so to speak like i like those moments because we get a bit of character development um red's still pretty much a blank slate by the end of this movie it's implied that maybe he comes from a military background the movie goes into no depth at all to explain that but he, he's clearly trained in weaponry the crossbow that he goes to collect is his crossbow so there's an idea that you know maybe potentially a really good hunter or maybe has served in the past in the military uh, with a background that's mysterious that we don't know um so we spend a bit of time with them and then we go through the whole kind of protracted cult scene of trying to recruit red's wife her you know ultimate kind of pushback the the full brutality of her death which is kind of laid bare on the screen this movie doesn't hide from that and i love it we got a wonderful classic nick cage performance as he's trying to treat his wounds and downing a bottle of vodka in a bathroom where the camera movement feels really kinetic and almost like they've just went go and we're we ourselves are a bit shocked by the movements that cage is doing and they stick with him and they get a great performance out of him um and then on top of that we have so all these bits of the kind of grounded elements we have all the supernatural stuff that comes with it the cult itself seems to have some sort of mystical leanings that are weirdly grounded so they have the what's it the horn of abraxas and the the knife of whatever um the horn calls these bikers who are drug runners who had a spiked dose of LSD that's basically made them fucking Cenobites. But instead of the box opening to draw them out, this horn calls them. And they seem to be bestowed with superhuman strength and will become part of the, the journey, um, part of the, the challenges, part of the trials that Red has to go through on his journey to, to, to get to the, the end boss. And all that stuff works really, 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 really well. Um, they're pretty dark and gnarly scenes. I love there's a scene where Red's killed pretty much all the bikers and he takes a taste of whatever drugs are in their, their hut, house, cabin in the woods. And as soon as he licks it, his face melts like Indiana Jones. And then you get like this huge psychedelic feel and vibe and and scenery and the movie itself mixes in bits of kind of cartoon drawn anime once again it reminded me of music videos from like the 70s and 80s um you get all those things that are, are powering through and all this imagery it's absolutely brilliant uh, the movie for all its digital effects of which there are loads there's a ton of practical effects in here like good old-fashioned practical effects in the blood which i think add to it it makes it have that kind of older vibe about it whilst at the same time feeling super modern which is difficult to do um and then the score of this movie if if everything wasn't already amazing about it as well uh johannes does the score i think this is one of the last ones he did before he passed away tragically and it's an incredible score it has this beautiful kind of motif theme about um about the, the kind of the relationship that Red and his wife has that kind of plays through. It's very soft, very sombre, and it works really well. But you get these huge moments of orchestration and synth work, and it's just, it sounds massive. And as a guy who loves 
soundtracks. This is one of those soundtracks that at night in a darkened room, maybe with some pink neon lights in the background, good set of headphones, you get captured and brought into it. It's kind of phenomenal. Not necessarily a short movie. This one is kind of pushing the two-hour mark, but I think it merits its runtime entirely in a way which just makes me happy. I feel myself getting more into Mandy the longer that time goes on. Like, I, I, I kind of feel... I mentioned this with a few films already, but that enveloping feeling of you being transported to a different world and you just have to roll with it. The further you go into this, the more fairy tale-esque it gets, the more darker it gets, and the more the movie transforms and takes you into the dream world. Like, there are these other planets that you feel like you're on with surreal characters that are like that have tigers for pets or you know the harbingers to a key to the next level the next stage that you have to go through you have to go through me um there is a chainsaw fight in this movie where red's painfully average chainsaw is met by a chainsaw that someone like victor crowley would be jealous of is that long um all those elements just add to it and the, the the work and the digital effects over the top of it just amplify it he creates his own acts um, this movie weirdly pairs really well with The Northman, the um, the movie from the director of The Witch, who escapes me at the moment, who will come back to me later on and is probably in all the chat threads below me. But um, I think uh, The Northman, which is in itself a movie that reminds me a lot of Conan the Barbarian, um, which actually, when you think about it, it's a revenge movie as well. So Northman reminds me of that. Mandy reminds me of that. So as a result, as a triple feature, I would roll Conan, The Northman, Finishman, Mandy. And that is a good fucking night. It's also six hours worth of cinema, so strap yourselves in. But I think when you're when you're watching those even down to the, you know, the creating of the weapon and the axe and all the rest, it does have a kind of Conan feel about it. And even the the soundtrack kind of leans the same way as well. So it's a, a small observation. If you're looking for a night of, like, badass vengeance in the genre world and you want to jump from kind of sword and sandal through, you know, kind of grounded, gritty ye old timey real world um, exploits of Vikings and then finish off in the world of the fantastic. I would say rock yourself some Conan the Barbarian, swing into some of the Northmen, finish off strong with uh, a little bit of Mandy and that's a good time for sure. Uh, Mandy's a movie that I'll keep coming back to. It's a, a relatively recent one but one that has through sheer force of will charted itself into a very regular watch i'm now on average watching it twice a year and it's only been out a handful of years five years old six years old maybe um and that's a credit to how good i think the movie really is it's uh remember this list is my top 10 favorite ain't the top 10 best um but and it's not a scary movie by any stretch of the imagination so even by horror standards it's more the imagery you see rather than the effect of the movie that puts it in that genre but where else would you place a movie like mandy if not in the horror genre i don't know if there's a genre that exists specifically for that um it's an amazing movie i love it loads hopefully you guys love it as well i'm looking forward to hearing your comments on the youtubes um, so if you're checking this video out, please leave comments below. I've been 
overwhelmed by the response on the videos so far and i look forward to commenting back on all the comments that you guys are leaving and uh, make sure you subscribe if you're checking us out on the youtubes uh, if you're checking us out on the spotify's through the video function there there's a little question that you can answer uh, that wings its way back to me and i look forward to reading them as well and if you're checking us out on any of the audio capture devices out there also make sure you're subscribed and that way you don't miss anything and with that that's movie number eight in the bag join me tomorrow as we start another movie review it's number seven on my list and i'm really looking forward to getting to this one for sure so well all that is left for me to say is wherever you are whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours please take care of yourselves out there this is duncan mcleish broadcasting live from under the stairs and i am signing off <laughs>